The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. In these winter months, consider TripInsurance.com to cover your next cruise investment. Buy direct from the leading insurers and save up to 40% or more on comparable plans from the other sites. Get a quote today and save from TripInsurance.com. Broadcasting from the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. A review of, well, this is interesting because Sherry Laskin, who does our news for us, over the summer, she made her way back on this long trip from Sitka, Alaska to uh, Central Florida, we'll say. And she got a chance to take the Alaska Marine Highway System. Now, this is like a cruise ship. But it's not, okay? So it has cabins in it. You can put your car on it. Um, There's food. There's all this stuff on there. So uh, she kind of got to take a cruise for three nights. So we're going to talk to her about that experience. And, of course, she is here with Cruise News. So you get a double dose of Sherry this week. So we'll start with the Cruise News first. Hi, Sherry. Hi, Doug. So two more cruise lines have dropped the hammer on cancellations. Yeah, so earlier this week, Royal Caribbean and Celebrity Cruises both announced that they have yet again extended cruise operations through April 30th of this year. Celebrity has extended the cruise suspension further, and they've included the May 1 transatlantic cruise on Celebrity Apex. They also announced the cancellations of all European and transatlantic cruises with Celebrity Edge and Celebrity Constellation, and this one runs through October of this year. And a popular cruise director is trading life at sea for life on land. That's right. Emma Pack began her career as a Carnival Cruise Director in 2015 aboard Carnival Spirit. And she was also the first female cruise director for Carnival to bring out a new ship, the Panorama, uh, in 2019. But now she has decided to leave the Carnival team for a land-based opportunity. And it's kind of cute. Emma met her husband, Mike Pack, through Carnival. And he's on tap to be the cruise director for the new Mardi Gras when that comes over to Port Canaveral. And asked when her, where her next job will be, the soon-to-be former cruise director said that her next role will be, and as she put it, quote, teaching children at a lovely school. Thanks, Mary Poppins. Have you ever sailed with Emma? You know, I might have, um, but I, I know there was one blonde female cruise director on one of the carnival ships I was on, and it could have very well have been her. Yeah, she was a she was a real sweetheart. So the ruling to ban large cruise ships in Key West could be overturned. Yeah, this is an interesting um, article that came out this week. So after Key West, Florida residents cast their votes last November, the majority actually voted to ban cruise ships with with over 1300 passengers and give docking priority to those cruise lines that had top health and environmental records. But a bill introduced by Florida Republican State Senator Jim Boyd would prevent local Florida governments from the ability to regulate their own seaports. So following passage from both the Florida House and Senate, if Governor Ron DeSantis signs the bill, 
It would overturn the restrictions that were passed by the voters in Key West, and the bill would render Key West unable to control the size and passenger count of cruise ships to prevent their docking in Key West. And interestingly enough, these restrictions would extend to 14 additional Florida seaports, not just Key West. Yeah, it seems like it's a slippery slope. On one end, you have millions of tourism dollars pouring in from, uh, what, 400 ships in 2019. But on the other end, you have the environmental impact that kind of gets people up in arms. Yeah, that's true. And then I thought about what if when they resume cruising, if assuming this bill passes and local governments can't control what ships dock at their port, what if there's another outbreak and... The ships have, you know, the ships will then have the right to dock wherever they want to in Florida, and the local governments can't prohibit the ships from unloading their sick passengers at their port. So there's a lot to consider. And a European brand has added to the fleet in a time when no ships are sailing. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So last year, the Greek cruise line Celestial Cruises purchased the Costa Neo Romantica, and the cruise line just announced it's going to rename the ship. And then it'll become the flagship of their current three-ship fleet. And this coming March, the 1,800-passenger ship will be renamed Celestial Experience. And they've planned the first cruise departure for March. And they've given it a name called Three Continents. And after it leaves from Greece, the ship will visit ports in Turkey, Israel, Egypt, and Cyprus. And then when it returns, beginning on April 3rd, it's going to do seven-night Aegean cruises, and those will leave from Athens and go to Rhodes, Crete, Santorini, Milos, Mykonos, and Cushatisi. And this next story, I mean, it's not really a shocker, but Carnival had their earnings call earlier this week. Yeah, so during Carnival Corporation's earnings call on Monday morning, it was announced that the company had posted a $2.2 billion loss for 2020's fourth quarter. And if you look at it in comparison to the last quarter of 2019, Carnival Corp garnered a profit back then of $423 million. Arnold Donald, president and CEO of Carnival Corporation's nine brands, believes that the company will emerge from this crisis as a leaner, stronger, and more efficient operation. And so far, 15 of their older ships have already been sold or scrapped, and there's four more ships that will be retired in the near future. The arrivals of the new Mardi Gras and 15 other new ships across the brands have been delayed. All right, listener question time this week from Jay. When cruising finally does resume, whatever that might be, do you anticipate that the proof of the completion of COVID-19 vaccines will be required before boarding? Also, do you anticipate cruise lines requiring rapid COVID tests and temperature checks as part of the embarkation process? Hi, Jay. First, there's a legality of requiring passengers to show proof of a vaccine. And this, uh, this is currently being debated. And, you know, keep in mind that those rapid COVID tests and temperature checks were tried last summer uh, in Europe on those large cruise ships. And there were still instances of COVID outbreaks on board. And many of those cruises had to be canceled. But because the rapid COVID tests are not as accurate as the PCR molecular tests, and they're really only a snapshot in time. 
it's going to require daily or very frequent testing with that with the um, PCR testing. And that's really the only logical way to be accurate enough to determine who at that given point in time has coronavirus. Um, you know, in my opinion, if cruise lines can legally require all passengers to get vaccinated to be able to show proof of a vaccine, then it certainly would make cruising a lot safer and you know, it could probably resume sooner. But again, this is all has this all has to be hammered out by lawyers and the CDC. But um, you know, we'll have it posted here as soon as something is confirmed. All right, Sherry Laskin from CruiseMaven.com. Thank you so much, Sherry. Thanks, Doug. Have a question or a comment for the show? Yeah. Send an email or voice memo to Doug at CruiseRadio.net. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not, not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. Go beyond the headlines with in-depth industry coverage at cruiseradio.net. So, Sherry, you were one of the lucky ones that actually got to take a cruise last fall, but it wasn't a cruise we're all used to. It was on the Alaska Marine Highway System. So before we get to your voyage, fill us in on what exactly is the Alaska Marine Highway System. Well, the Alaska Marine Highway System is the main mode of transportation for all the roadless seaside communities all through Alaska, starting all the way down in the southeast uh, near Ketchikan and running all the way north and then west to Dutch Harbor. When you see the Deadliest Catch TV show, sometimes they leave out of Dutch Harbor. So it covers several thousand miles of waterfront, actually, and um, it also goes out into the real ocean when it is heading for Seward or Whittier, that area. It's an interesting thing because most people don't realize that Alaska doesn't have a whole lot of roads. Um, Juneau, you can't drive to, and that's the state capital. And that's a pretty big hub for the Alaska Marine Highway System. There's uh, 12 ships, actually, in the system. Five are what they call mainline ferries. And they will do the stretch from Bellingham, Washington, all the way up to Whittier, Alaska, which is up in the Gulf. Four of them are day boats, and four, four more are actually in long-term layup. Okay. So there's not a whole lot happening. But basically, it's a collection of vintage ferry boats that ply the waters of Alaska. So, I mean, there's 12 of them or whatnot. So this is like, this is pretty much, it can be with, with the lack of roads in Alaska, this could be incorporated in someone's day-to-day life. Oh, it is. Um, I mean, that's how uh, people go to doctor's appointments. That's how goods are transported. Um, when there's an emergency, as you remember, um, they had to get food 
to one of the small communities mm-hmm. earlier, you know, middle of last year. So people helped load one of the small ferries and deliver it to one of the small roadless communities that had no other way to get food and medical supplies. The ferry boat structure is really a lifeline for so much of Alaska. Okay, so you're ready to take this voyage and you go to make your reservation. How comparable is this to actually booking a cruise? Because, I mean, you're going to have a stateroom and you're going to be on for a couple of days. Right. Well, first, you don't have to have a stateroom, (laughs) even if it's an overnight trip. But we'll get into that further down. So to make the reservation, you can't do it online. You have to call up and do it. You can sort of do it online. You You can check prices. You can check availability. But the best way to make sure you get what you actually want is to just call. And you call the Alaska Marine Highway System, and you give them your credit card, and you are booked. And I mentioned you don't have to have a room. So a lot of people, you know, even if it's an eight-hour trip that they're on, they'll sit in one of the lounges, in the cafeteria, on deck if it's summertime. So you don't have to have a stateroom for a voyage, but it sure does make it nice. I mean, is it pricey to take, like a, like an overnight voyage like this, like from Sitka <laughs> down to the U.S.? It's extremely overpriced for what it costs to get, Well, and we're going to cover this, I think, but from Sitka down to Bellingham with just me, my car, and a stateroom for one, are you ready? It was close to $2,000, oh, and that crap. was for three and a half nights. I want to make a correction. I said from Sitka down to the U.S., both are U.S., but I, yeah, I <laughs> meant from Sitka to Washington State, but very good there. So um, you're leaving Sitka. Your car is parked, and it's packed. You're at the ferry terminal. What is this embarkation like? Okay, so I got in my car. It's loaded to the gills. I mean, you could not see out the back, and you know, Sitka is only seven miles in either direction from the center of town. So it took me about five minutes to get out to the old ferry terminal. And when you pull up in your car, you've got to have your paperwork completed. And because it, you know, the pandemic is going on, I had to get a COVID PCR test and bring my results to the boarding person. So you pull up in your car in your lane. There's only two people getting on in Sitka to head down to Bellingham. This was middle of September. It's getting kind of cold. As soon as you give the guy your paperwork, you just drive, you drive right onto the vessel, and then there's somebody else there, like uh, directing like they would an airplane to the to the um, I don't know what they call the thing where that stretches out where you go to leave the airplane. What do you call that? The jetway. Thank you. Okay. It's been it's only been thirty years, <laughs> um, uh, and they really they literally have those orange lights in their hands and they're pointing you to the direction where you park your car and cars are parked on the um the vehicle deck obviously but they line both sides so starboard and port and then the middle is kept free so you cars are parked and you know nose to end um the length of the ship if it's full and then you have to take everything out of your car that you're going to want on your voyage, and you have a choice. You can either go up this narrow flight of stairs. There's no landing. It's about, I think I counted 18 steps, maybe 20, and that, and then go to the purser's desk, or you can take all your things and, and squeeze into the little one-person elevator. It looks like something from Europe where you, you, know, you stand there and you're about the only person that can fit, and you can take that upstairs if you want. I always take the stairs because there's usually a line, and 
in summertime and when things are normal, um, there's always a line to get in the elevator. So I'm just used to the stairs. Then when you get upstairs, you still don't know where your room is, by the way. So again, it's not like the cruise lines where you say, okay, well, I want this particular stateroom, you know, and I, I want the balcony. I want this. Well, first of all, there's no balconies on any of the ferries. And you go, to the, you go up to the purser's desk and you give them your information and they hand you a key and they say, this is your stateroom. End of discussion. So then you turn around and you either go straight back towards your stateroom or you go up or down a deck, depending on the ship. In my case, I was on the purser's deck and I left things in the car because I couldn't take everything upstairs all at once, obviously, for a three night cruise. So little did I know that once you're upstairs and they lock the doors, you're not getting back downstairs to get your things until the first deck call, which is probably four hours later. Sometimes it's the next day. So keep in mind. That yeah. answers my question anyway. though, because I was going to ask you, you said you don't have to book a cabin. And I was wondering like, you know, since I have a camper, could I roll on there and just crash in my camper for the ride? But I guess you can't do that. Can you? You know, in, um, years ago, I was told that if you had an RV or a camper, yes, you could have stayed in there. Um, but they don't allow you to do that anymore. So you, um, you can park it, you know, and it's going to, be expensive. And then you go upstairs and get your room or camp out in the lounge or on the deck if you want to. Well, yeah, and that would have been nice because the guy parked in front of me had a really nice RV, you know, yeah. the, the drive-in sleep type. And we were talking and I said, yeah, you know, can you stay? I asked him, I said, can you stay in there if you and your wife wanted to? And that's when he informed me that they used to be able to do that, but not anymore. Huh. People were taking advantage of it. They weren't selling enough yep. staterooms, probably. Who knows? Um, I'm so, sure. Yeah. So you make your way upstairs there uh, before you get your stateroom assignment. What were your first impressions of the ferry overall? Like, you know, you get on board, you get up that elevator or take the steps up and you're, you know, you're right there in the, uh, we're not going to say the atrium, but the entryway. What'd you think of the ferry? <laughs> well, I've been on three of them so far. I've been on the Columbia, the Matanuska, and the Malaspina. And this one, my most recent one, was the old Matanuska. 55 years old, okay? Wow. Max capacity is 500 passengers. We had 45 on board going the full main line down to Bellingham. It's very, I guess you could call it rustic. It's really old and sort of beat up and homey looking. I love the ferries. It's just such a unique experience, but it's nothing like a cruise ship. It's not even anything like a cruise ship used to be 55 years ago. This is a working vessel. It's transportation. It hauls semis. It hauls tour buses from port to port. There's nothing fancy about it except on the Matanuska. Again, it's about 50 years old. Um, That's a little bit more spruced up. Just a little bit. So you said they give you a key for your stateroom. So like how were the accommodations? You said there was no balcony cabins, but is this like a cruise where you could actually pick a different type cabin or are they all pretty much the same? Yeah, you have a choice. And let me back up. It was the Columbia that's a little bit more spruced up, not the Matanuska. But um, for the accommodations, you have ocean, ocean view, if you want to call it that. You get a square window and there's no balconies like we said. A double stateroom or a triple or a quad, and you can pick with a view or you can pick an inside. Um, I've always had the window, which I really like. It's very, uh, how do I explain this? If anyone has been on the old Costa Flavia, 
The rooms are similar to that. They're metal bunk beds, literally, with almost a standard issue blanket and you know pillow that's about three inches deep. There's bathrooms in all of them. Not fancy, you know, a little bitty shower with a, a floppy curtain. And uh, there's one chair. <laughs> they stick a chair in a corner. And there's a closet, which is about two feet wide with, you know, three or four old laundry hangers hanging in there. But, you know, you don't need anything. There's a couple of hooks, mm-hmm. um, one electric outlet. That's it. So it's nothing fancy, but they're clean. They're really clean. And that's probably the, the, the best feature about all three. And I've, you know, I've been on three ferries. I've probably done this six or seven times. They are really clean. Sherry, what's the pricing difference between getting a like an ocean view room in a uh, inside cabin? Let's see. For the three nights southbound, it's probably a couple hundred dollars less. Okay, that's per night or total. Total. Okay. Wow. So you're not really saving total. much. No, it's not that much difference. Mm-hmm. And actually, I've even reserved for myself a quad cabin because it gives you just little more space. And then you can put your luggage on the bed, the lower bed on one side and sleep on the lower bed on the other. And it just gives you more, a little bit more room, not much, but like I said, they're the wrought iron or cast iron bunk beds. Like Mm -hmm. you would see in an army movie from the forties. Wow. (laughs) Now what's the food situation like on board? The three ships that I've been on, the Columbia, Matanuska, Malaspina, the Columbia, which is I know it's not really like the flagship of the fleet, but it's the only one that still has a tablecloth dining room. A lot of the ships used to have a lounge with um, a cash bar, and a lot of them did have a dining room and a cafeteria. But on the Matanuska that I took last September, all we had was a cafeteria. They don't even have a full-service dining room. There's a couple vending machines, <laughs> and that's about it. There's not a lot of food service, but the food that they have was really good. It has taken a downturn, unfortunately. I think the best meal I had in those three nights probably was uh, roast turkey <laughs> with stuffing, mashed potatoes, and like a, a squishy roll <laughs> mm-hmm. and cranberry sauce. So they used to have wonderful fish because it's fresh, but things have changed. There's been a lot of cutbacks, as you can imagine. You know, the food's gone downhill a little bit, but you know what? It's just enjoyable. It's just, I love being on the ferries. So these vessels have like legitimate chefs on board. They do. They do. They had a kitchen staff. And remember, things were pared down a lot on this sailing, obviously. Um, There was one person behind the counter serving everybody. You know, he, he was putting everything together. And then there were two cooks in the back that were, you know, keeping things moving around. There were only three people in the galley for meal service time. And they had breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You can get eggs to order in the morning. You can get things like um, a salmon burger or a halibut burger if you don't want to spend all the money. Dinners ran about, like a, the turkey dinner, it's about $15, $16, maybe somewhere in that range, plus a beverage. And, you know, it's not inexpensive. So going, so why did I spend that much? Because meals are not included. Yeah. So you're spending close to $2,000 for the three night cruise plus meals on top of that. 
On the upside, there's no tipping allowed. It is a state-owned operation, and there's no tipping allowed. So you, you, know, you save a little bit there. You can't even try to hand somebody some money because they refuse it. And I tried in the dining room, and she said, we cannot accept anything. Okay, so it's three days from Sitka down to Washington State. How did you pass the time? Because I'm sure there's not like, uh, you know, theater shows and stuff on a state-ran ferry boat. <laughs> well, not only that, there's no internet. Oh, wow. There is no entertainment. I did find a piano in a room. <laughs> no <laughs> one was in there. So I guess, you know, if you played piano, you can go in there. There's nothing. So they do have two lounges. And one of the lounges on Matanuska did show movies, mostly kid-type movies. Uh, I think there was one child, maybe two out of the 45 of us, and they weren't in there watching them. It was just movies weren't that terrific, and they're shown on TV screens. I don't think they were bigger than a 27-inch monitor. So if you, unless you sat really close, you couldn't see the screen anyway. So plan on no entertainment. You have to bring your own things to do. I mean, if you knit, that's great. If you write, that's great. Um, if you just like looking out the window or standing on deck, if it's, the weather's not bad, you can just spend hours. Because, you know, the neat thing about this passing the time is the ship is going slow and it's going into these little inlets and channels that, that sound like a commercial, that the big ships can't go into. <laughs> but, but this is how it's done because they're reaching these small little communities. What makes this experience so unique? Because like what you were just saying about the piano being in the room there, like this, a ship, like this vessel you were on, this is totally a ship that I would wake up like at three or four in the morning and just wander because it seems like it's so cool. And I want to check out every single corner on board, but what makes this experience so unique? Well, and you could do that. You could probably do the whole ship in less than 10 minutes (laughs) (laughs) if you start at the top and work your way down. Um, But it is, all the ships are unique. First of all, If you don't have the money for a room, you can pitch a tent on the aft deck. Now, there's two decks at the back of the ship that are semi-enclosed, and they have those, those, like those restaurant heaters. The outdoor heaters. Yeah, the outdoor heaters, either the ones that are on a pedestal, but obviously not gas, or the the ones from the ceiling that look like fluorescent lights. But you can pitch a tent. You can bring a sleeping bag and grab a lounge chair, and that could be your home. They also have um, the public restrooms are enormous, and they have showers, and then they have laundry facilities. So, and they're not, they're, you know, it costs money to use the laundry, of course, but that's probably the most unique thing. I think the first time I went on the Columbia, all I did was take, <laughs> I was like a snoop. All I did was take pictures of people in their tents with the boots out in front. And it was just, it was remarkable. I couldn't, you know, it was just something you never see anywhere else. Camping under the stars on a ferry in Alaska. I mean, it is just, it's awesome. What else makes it unique? You stop along the way. People with their vehicles will just go up and down the coast. So it takes time. So in many of the ports, you'll have 45 minutes to an hour and a half, maybe two hours. And that gives you, depending on the port, enough time to walk into town and look around. For example, when you dock in, well, in Sitka for, you know, if you were, if you were coming down from the North or coming up from the South and it stopped in Sitka, you're seven miles from downtown and you probably, you, it's too far to walk in too short of a time. But if you were in say Haynes, you, you're right smack in the middle of town. 
it's unique because there's obviously no shore excursions, nothing to do, but you get to see the little towns. You just bring your pass with you, your boarding pass, and off you go. And then they tell you to be on board when? A half hour before departure, just like always. Were there any kind of like COVID restrictions in place for getting off the vessel when you were on it? On my sailing, because it was during COVID, crew and passengers, unless it was your designated termination point, Mm -hmm. you could not leave the ship. So it was kind of sad because we had a couple of hours in Ketchikan, but we couldn't leave the ship. We also went to Juneau and Petersburg. Petersburg is a cute little town, by the way. But yeah, none of us were allowed off the ship. And in previous times, yeah, it's been fun. You get off the ship, like I said, you walk around and and, uh, it just gives you a feel for what the town looks like, even a short 45-minute visit. But yeah, COVID really put restrictions on everybody. We had to have, like I said, proof of a negative COVID test. And then no one can get off the ship. You mentioned this uh, a little bit earlier, but like what kind of shape are these boats in? You mentioned that one was 55 years old, but I mean, do they look their age and do they feel their age? (laughs) They look and feel their age. If they have stabilizers, it's unknown to me because when you're going cross Gulf um, Mm -hmm. and you've done that once, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It can get really rough and it's a very short period of time. Of course, these ferries don't go the same exact path as the big cruise ships. But still, um, it's because one time we were coming up from Bellingham and it's the uh, Dixon entrance is where you come out of Canada and you make going north. You make a right turn into the Dixon entrance and then you're officially in the inside passage. But for that short time, you've got where the two waters meet. And the captain said, "Okay, we're making a right turn. Everybody hold on. And it was ridiculous. I mean, to me, it was, you know, wasn't that bad. But yeah, definitely, you know, it definitely can rock and roll. But for the most part, it's really calm. Despite their age, they've got character. They don't have stabilizers. The interiors are are rough, basically. But they're just something unique. Yeah, there's a charm about that, though. Oh, definitely. It's like, you know... We were just talking about this earlier, about the old Marco Polo Mm -hmm. and how it had such a fan club. It's kind of the same. It is the same thing. There's people that absolutely will not set foot on a cruise ship, but they'll go on the ferry with the stateroom from north to south and back again. And they just absolutely love it. And it really, if you can afford it, because like I said, it's expensive. You do a lot different. it's It's a totally different experience than taking a cruise ship, either on a seven-night inside passage cruise or a cross-gulf experience. If someone wanted to hop on one of these boats because they were like craving an Alaska adventure, like how could they mm-hmm. do that? Yeah, so really go to the website, which is D-O-T, the word dot, and then a little dot, alaska.gov forward slash A-M-H-S, Alaska Marine Highway System. And then um, you can go from there and start investigating it. The the website is not really user-friendly either. They list the schedules in all sorts of goofy ways. But you can learn about the ships. You can study it and learn about the routes, how much time you'll have in each port. You know, dep- Of course, it, once, it's, um, once you're free to do that again. The ferry does not operate January through March. Well, actually... In my case, it was stopping September 29th was the last sailing until I think they said the end of February. But that's, you know, who knows? 
but even under normal conditions is too rough, you know, it freezes and the ships, they're not ice cutters. So you can do all the research yourself, like I said, on that website and then call the Alaska Marine Highway System and make your reservation with a person. It just, I've done it, you know, I've done it, like I said, a bunch of times and it's just really nice. They're very helpful. If you have questions, the website, like I said, is kind of weird. So that's how you would do it if you want to plan your Alaska adventure on the ferry. Now, you mentioned a few of them were in layup, and I, I don't want to get political here, but does the like who's in office, um, whether it be local uh, or at a national level, does that impact the funds that the ferry system gets? It certainly does. Okay. And the governor has cut the funds and cut the funds again. Okay. So like I said, there, there are four ships in mm-hmm. long-term layup uh, and there are old ships too. So they're right. always going in for maintenance. You never mm-hmm. know when one's going to have to, when your um, trip, yeah, yeah. Another thing you have to be flexible because they can have engine problems, plumbing problems, and they'll have to just send it to the fix it yard in Ketchikan for repairs. And, you know, if you were planning, if you had an airline ticket from Bellingham back East, you know, you may not make it. Okay. So, All right. So uh, first time tips for the Alaska Marine Highway system. Uh, it sounds like it's quite an antiquated website. So have some patience on there. Have some patience and um, have patience with the ships. You're on there because you want an adventure. You're not on there for the shows. There's no casinos. You know, there's nothing like that. You're on your own. It's your own entertainment. I would suggest that you um, pack a cooler, not one of those enormous things, but pack a cooler with some snacks. Bring your own water bottles if if you'd like. Um, you don't want to really drink the water out of the ship. You know, it's like on the cruise ships. I don't drink the water out of the tap. I never have, never will. So bring your own bottled water if you want. You can bring your own booze too. So wine, beer, whatever you want, bring an opener. <laughs> don't forget that. And don't hesitate to ask the purser's desk if you need a second pillow or a second blanket. It gets kind of cool, even with the air conditioning. Um, And if the ship isn't full, and for some reason you have one of those staterooms, like I just did, that clanks, you hear the the air through the vents, you hear clank, 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 clank. Ask for a stateroom change. They're really nice about doing that. They know the ship is old. They know nothing's perfect. They, you know, they want to accommodate these people that work on the ferries. A lot of them have been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years. And they're, they're like a family, you know, similar to the big ships. But, you know, I know a lot of people that go down the purser's desk on the big ships and they ask for a room change. And what do they always tell them? We're sold out. Exactly. And you know that there's room, (laughs) you know, it's like a hotel. They always have a few extra rooms if needed. But on the ferry, if they have one, they'll move you. It's, they'll just hand you a key and they'll say, here, go take this one. Bring the other key back when you're done. It's very casual. You don't need dress-up clothes. And, and there's, I mean, not even need it. You just, there's no purpose for it. So what other first-time tips? Be patient. Enjoy the ride because it's really unique. And um, bring binoculars. Bring your camera. Bundle up, even if it's in the summer, when you start going up the Lynn Canal towards Haines or towards Skagway, and there's still snow on the mountains, and that breeze can get pretty darn cold. So if you plan on being on deck and not under the the heat lamps, dress warmly. And uh, it's basic transportation, and it's part of Alaska history. 
Yeah, that's one thing I was really surprised at. I mean, my, my first time to Alaska was, I think, like in 2012. And of course, you think, you know, you're going to Alaska in the summertime. <laughs> it's going to be nice flip-flops, T-shirts. But, it, you know, <laughs> like it got down to the 40s some nights on my first cruise up there. And that was in dead middle of summer, like July 15th. Yeah, you know, it's so unpredictable. Like for you, for example, it got really cold, but then the next day it can heat up again. But if you're going to go up in, a, say, a helicopter to do one of the, um, the glacier tours, you're still going to need warm clothes. So depend, you know, always dress warm for Alaska. It's layers, layers, and layers. You know, September in the southeast, we had some 80-degree days. Not the day I left, <laughs> but like the week before, it was in the 80s. So you just never know. And then my favorite month, in case anybody wants to know, is June and June is my favorite month to go to Alaska. Very good. Well, in closing here, give us your final thoughts of the Alaska Marine Highway System and the vessel you were on. My last one was the Matanuska, 55 years old. If you don't want the frills that a big cruise ship has and you want to just enjoy the scenery, maybe make some new friends, try the Alaska Ferry System. It, you know, We need to keep this thing running, first of all. It's taken such a hit this year. And I don't know, I just, I would take that in a heartbeat over one of the big ships to go the same itinerary. You know, if I was going across Gulf, I would love to go on back on the Columbia or the Kennecott and just, it's a week, you know, and they don't run every day. So again, patience too is needed. There's no frills. Just enjoy it. It's, it's something different and it's not for everybody. All right. Sherry Laskin with CruiseMaven.com. I, by the way, um, do you have any coverage? We'll link to it on the show notes here at CruiseRadio.net. I sure do. Okay. I've got two or three reviews of different ships and the experiences. So sure, that would be great. Thanks. Very good. See you later, Sherry. Thank you. See ya. Bye. All right, Dougie. Let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast or online at CruiseRadio.net. I'm your announcer.